Well, we're finishing up the book of Ephesians today, and as you turn to Ephesians chapter 6, I'm going to cover this concluding uh, portion of the letter. And it's always a little bit of a challenge to conclude uh, a letter because Paul wrote it to the Ephesians primarily, even though he meant it for the whole church to be read. But sometimes it's a wonder of like, how, what do we do with this ending of a letter? In fact, I want to read you these four verses and then we'll, we'll talk about it. Paul says, um, beginning in verse 21, So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. So my title this week I took from that last line, uh, those who love the Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. And that word incorruptible could mean immortal, it can mean undying, and that's, that's how I took it. Our, our undying love for Christ. Paul is showing in this conclusion his great love for the church at Ephesus. He also shows his pastoral heart, but it's interesting. We've heard throughout the letter of the Father's love for us, that he loved us before the foundation of the world. We heard of the Son's love for us, how high and wide and deep and long the love of Christ is. It's been implied that the Spirit has love for us because as we keep in step with him, he reveals God's love to us. And he's the one who has been made at home in our hearts through faith. But now Paul is saying the, the proper response is that because we've been so greatly loved, we ought to love God. And Paul says this kind of love, it's a love that's incorruptible. In other words, it's, it's undying. It will never fade. It will never go away. Now, sometimes we perceive and feel like our love for God is waxing and waning. We just sang about it. That sometimes we don't feel like our love for God is very strong. But if we understand what Paul taught us in the whole book of Ephesians, we realize that our loving God is not ultimately based upon our effort. The Spirit of God is at work in us to stir up in us this reality of who we are in Christ and everything that we have. And as we keep in step with Him, we know that our love for Christ will never fade away. It will never, to use this same kind of language, it will never perish. It's incorruptible. It's undying. It's unable to die. And this gives us great hope this morning. Because we live in this already not yet. And you might be tempted to think my love for God is, it's like a feeble candle. It, it waxes and wanes and I'm afraid it's going to die at some point that the circumstances of my life would become so great that I just don't love God anymore. Maybe you felt that way. I know I have. But we have this great hope that, that we're not, it's not ultimately our own effort apart from God. It's actually a spirit-empowered love that is rooted in everything that we have in Jesus because we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, according to chapter 1. So I want to pull this out. Though Paul is talking about who he's sending, this man Tychicus, and this benediction to the church at Ephesus, I want to pull out by application 
a great encouragement to us today who live in Benicia and not Ephesus or adjacent to Benicia. Vallejo, dare we say the word, Vallejo. <laughs> so first, Paul's gift to those who love Christ. He sends this man, Tychicus. And this is one of those things that it's very easy. If I said to you, who is Tychicus? You would say, I don't know. And if I asked you, was he even mentioned anywhere else in the Bible? You would say, I don't know. I would say, I don't know. I'd have to look it up. It would be a trivial pursuit exercise. So let's do that a little bit. Turn over to Acts chapter 20. The first time he's mentioned is here in Acts chapter 20 in verse 4. Because what I want to do is paint you a, a picture, a biography of Tychicus so you can get an idea of what Paul's intention was in sending him. So chapter 20, verse 1, Paul is in, uh, let me just read it. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. Now Macedonia is that country that was, it was a province of Rome at the time that was just above Greece. When he had gone through those regions and given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. And there he spent three months. And when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So Peter the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him. And of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. So just in passing, Tychicus is mentioned as one of the Asians. Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, is where Ephesus is. Tychicus was from Ephesus, but he was a part of Paul's missionary team. He was part of this team that was traveling around with Paul, sharing the gospel, building up the church. He was with Paul, here we see, in Greece. It was during the third missionary journey that he ended up going to Troas with Paul. And then turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. There's only three passages, so we're, gonna, we're on to the second one. I'm trying to, you know, build up the story a little bit, you know, the ooh and the ah of it, but I don't know if that's quite coming. Yes, thank you. I got a little reaction out of you. 2 Timothy 4.12. Um, let me start verse 9. Paul, of course, this is the last letter he wrote. He's in prison. He's going to die. Um, tradition says he was beheaded at Rome by Nero for his faith. And he's writing to Timothy, and he says, verse 9, Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. So this team of missionaries that traveled with him, by the time Paul is in prison the second time, everybody's gone. The only one with him is Luke, the physician who wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. So Tychicus was with him, and Paul says, I sent him to Ephesus. And we have to read between the lines. Paul was 
probably planning to replace um, Timothy there in Ephesus, because that's where Timothy was in 2 Timothy, with Tychicus as the pastor. So Timothy, come to me. I'm going to send your replacement in Tychicus. In fact, because Tychicus is mentioned at the end of the book of Ephesians, he's probably the scribe who wrote the letter. So Paul, the very standard, if you were writing a letter to somebody, you would, or, you would speak it orally, and someone would write it down and be your scribe. Tychicus was probably the scribe for the letter to the Ephesians. And um, Paul back, let's, let's turn back to, well, he's mentioned in Titus 1.12 is the third one. So let's go ahead and look at that. Uh, not in 112. Hmm. Uh, 3.12. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. Yeah, so he also was sent to replace Titus at Crete uh, when Titus was going to go to Paul. So there was this ministry that Paul was doing where he would have his team. He would send one of them, like Titus or Timothy, to go to a church that they had previously planted and build it up. But when he needed one of those um, one of his right-hand guys, like Titus or Timothy, to return to him, he would send a replacement. And it seems that what we can reconstruct is Tychicus was that replacement. He was that one who would come in and just make sure that the church was running smoothly after uh, these other brothers had left and returned. So he was a very trustworthy, reliable co-worker and helper. So turning back to Ephesians, let's kind of reconstruct here what Paul's saying. Verse 21, so that you may also know how I am and what I'm doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. So this is another pattern of him saying, Tychicus has been with me. This is the first imprisonment, not the second one that we saw in 2 Timothy. But he says, I'm going to send Tychicus to you. He's going to tell you everything about how I'm doing and what's been going on. And he's going to be the one who brings this letter of the Ephesians to the church at Ephesus. And he probably was the scribe who wrote it. And with a track record of Tychicus in Scripture like this, it's no wonder Paul thought of him as a faithful minister or servant in the Lord. Isn't it incredible? Like, we don't think of Tychicus when we think of faithful ministers in the New Testament. He's not the first name that comes to my mind. It's going to be one of the apostles. It's going to be Paul. It's going to be perhaps James. Or we, but we don't think of these people who just faithfully have been serving the Lord. Paul trusted him so much that he sent him to Ephesus twice and to Crete once and was with him throughout this ministry. Uh, one of the commentators says, to think that Paul, at the very end of this unbelievable epistle, actually gives the gift of a personified version of every single thing that you find in this letter to the church so that they might see in the flesh what he's been speaking about. Therefore, we have the man with the message. He gave the church that he loved one of his best men and one of God's best blessings, Tychicus. Sent to exhort them, sent to encourage them, sent to push them and press them to implement all of the blessings that they would read about in this book. What a thought. 
And um, it's always good to hear what the Lord is doing in the lives of other ministries. One of the reasons I wanted to read this letter uh, from our missionary um, was because we want to hear what the Lord is doing in, in Russia, in North Africa. Paul says, I want you to know how I'm doing. They wanted them, the Ephesians to be comforted by this. And to think that we've had opportunity to, from our local church here that started a year ago to partner with a brother who helped us start the ministry and send him to Russia to continue work there. And in sending him, we sent one of our best, a dear, dear brother in the Lord. And we want to know what's going on with them. We want to hear these Ephesians wanted to know what's going on with Paul. Paul's essentially saying, I know that you've been praying for me. I know what, you know what I've been battling against, that I'm in prison. I want you to know how the Lord has been answering your prayers. And so in other words, Paul wanted them to be comforted. Paul's the one whose death is a real possibility, and yet he's still concerned about this church, this flock. And, and Thinking about our opportunity to, to support missionaries, to have them come visit us, preach to us. It's why we want to travel and see them and share our life with them to have our hearts knit together. This is at the heart of fellowship. So, so Paul is very practical in this, knowing that these relationships are crucial for the building up of the body of Christ, for the advancement of the gospel and missions, and his vision of God's new society was not mere theory, but something he put into practice. And so John Stott in his commentary says, by prayer, correspondence, and visits, he sought to cultivate the building up of Christ's body. Well, how does this apply to us? Well, we know that our love for Christ is not merely verbal. It's not merely emotional. It actually works itself out in doing something. It works itself out in obedience to God. It works itself out in doing the same kinds of things that we see here. It's why we want to be a part of missions and church planting. I think of Jason and Kristen wanting to be sent up to Calistoga. And what a thought to think that we would send our best to go and advance the kingdom in the Napa Valley. And the need is great. And that we could be a part of that. And wouldn't it be an encouragement to say, this is not just a matter of checking a box or doing what we're supposed to as a church. This is a manifestation of our love for Christ. We have been so greatly loved that we need to share that love with others so that others would know how greatly they're loved in Christ. Paul's gift to the church at Ephesus was to send them Tychicus. Likewise, our gift to those who love Christ is to send them people who love Jesus, to serve them, to minister to them. Perhaps it's you. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. I can remember being challenged. I was at an evening service and it was... In 1999, and Phil Howard was preaching on Isaiah 6, Here Am I, Send Me, and it was for the opening of the, the year for Grace School of Theology and Ministry. 
And I was doing everything I could to get away from pastoral ministry. I wanted to work my job at UC Davis, being a computer programmer, make lots of money. I mean, this is prior to Y2K. I had my eyes set on being the next computer genius. I'm not Bill Gates. I mean, not that high. But man, I thought I, I was going to just give a lot to the church and maybe lead a Bible study. And the Lord put it on my heart through his providences and not giving it rest. And that, that night after hearing that message, I could not sleep and I prayed all night and by the morning I said, okay, Lord, whatever you would have me do, I'll do. So I enrolled in grace school theology the next day. I started taking classes and then later that year went up to Grace Church in Napa Valley to be on staff. And it, the Lord, this is how he works. This is how he moves is you are so captured by how much he has loved you that you love him in return we love because he first loved us and that love then manifests itself in serving others that's why we've emphasized the priesthood of believers so much that we want to be a priesthood of believers that serves one another that manifests the love of christ in our own church as we love and serve one another so paul's gift is tychicus and he had said earlier that god gives gifts to the church some as apostles some as prophets some as evangelists some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints to do the work of ministry the people that are those gifts that it's not spiritual gifts in that context in that verse it's those people who are gifted to the church and here's another one at the end of the letter tychicus well, the second part of this conclusion is Paul's blessing to those who love Christ. Verses 23 and 24. The benediction. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This word benediction literally is just a word of blessing i have a explanation in our bulletin every week about each of the elements of our corporate gathering and why we include them and i don't always talk about it but if you were to get one of the print copies of the bulletin you would see that the service from the call to worship to the call to repentance to the the remembering and the thanksgiving of assurance of salvation in christ to the preached word, to the communion, to a song and prayer of thanksgiving, and then a commissioning and an enlisting for service, and then a benediction takes the shape of the gospel. The whole service is meant to be a rehearsal of the gospel. That just as we were told to believe the gospel, to worship Jesus, to bow the knee to Him, it's a call to worship, to stop worshiping ourselves. And if you're not a Christian here today, this call to worship that we started with Psalm 89, but the call to worship is a call to say, I'm not the boss of my own life anymore. I'm not the king. Jesus is. And I would just ask you, if Jesus isn't king in your life, how's your kingdom going? It's going well for you? Jesus gave an illustration of it as, the wise man builds his house upon a rock. The foolish man builds his house upon the sand. See, when the winds come, when the storms of life come, 
When trials come, if we built our own kingdom, it's not going to last. But if we have submitted to Jesus as king and believe the gospel, man, it's a kingdom that will never perish and never fade away. And we get to be a part of that kingdom, a part of that family. And it's not by works, it's by faith, believing that Jesus died in our place, that he was buried and rose again. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. What a glorious gospel. And at the end of this gospel message is a benediction, right? That that we will never perish but have everlasting life, eternal life. What a benediction. What a word of blessing. We will never come into condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That the, the wrath of the Father has been fully satisfied in the work of the Son at the cross. And the Spirit of God is the down payment of our pledge and the down payment and pledge of our inheritance that everything God has promised will be met in Him. All of His promises are yes and amen. He's going to keep them all. What Father ever keeps all His promises? Even the best of us. We mean to keep our promises, but circumstances. We're not God. We don't know tomorrow. But our Father in heaven who knows the future, who knows all things, who's sovereign over all, He keeps all His promises. And He loves us with an everlasting love. So this benediction, this word of blessing, this is more than a wish. This isn't just wishful thinking. This isn't hallmark theology. You know, you get the cards that give you a nice wish for your birthday or for the holidays or your anniversary. This is a type of prayer for us. Paul is praying a prayer that he knows will be answered because it's rooted in the character and promises of God. And he says, peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love in corruptible grace and peace begin the letter chapter 1 verse 2 grace to you and peace from god our father and the lord jesus christ grace end the letter and peace end the letter here he mixes them up he says peace first and then love with faith and then grace well peace and love peace in ephesians is incredible isn't it turn back to chapter 2 verse 14 he himself is our peace Who is that? The Lord Jesus, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. What an incredible, the kind of peace we have with God means we have access to Him. We can come to Him whenever we want, and we're not going to be turned away. You remember Esther in the Old Testament? She was married to the king, and she wasn't sure that she had access whenever she wanted. You remember the story of Esther? She, on danger of losing her life decided to go into the king without first being asked for 
presuming upon the king's character. And she wasn't sure if she was going to lose her life. You see, that's an earthly king. We have a heavenly king. God who sits in the heavens who made all things. But what we have is a great promise that we can come to Him whenever we want. It no longer is like in the Old Testament where if you decided to go into the presence of the Lord in an unworthy manner, you might get struck dead. Now we come to God as a Father. Because Jesus made peace. There's nothing left to do. We have access in the Holy Spirit to God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. As I told you when we were there in Ephesians 2.18, that is the main verse that the first two chapters are driving towards. Is peace with God. Access to Him. We can come to Him whenever we want and we can ask Him whatever we need. And then in chapter 3, He says He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think. So you can't ask or think too much because He does exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think. That is good news. That is peace. Of course, Paul's appealing to the Old Testament concept of peace as well. Shalom. That's the one Hebrew word I think we all know. Shalom. Peace. Life is the way God intended it to be, is the idea. But we know in this fallen world, we don't have shalom. This is not life as God intended it to be, but He's promised it. But we experience it now in Jesus. We have peace. We have shalom. And here we have it in the benediction as well. Peace, he says, to the brothers and love with faith. Now he says brethren, brothers, brothers and sisters. It's a plural word. Members of one another. He had said in chapter 4, verse 25, that we are Put away falsehood. Let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. He said in verse chapter 2, verse 19, we belong to the same household. We're members of the household of God. It's why we are called brothers and sisters, or the old word brethren. Brothers and sisters. Why? Because God is our Father. So what is Paul saying? Paul's saying in this benediction May you know the fullness of the Father's favor, enjoyment of the total well-being that He bestows. That's what Paul is praying for them. And then he says, love with faith. Well, what kind of love has he been talking about? The love of God. One of the main purposes of the book of Ephesians was to promote love, and here it's combined with faith. Of course, he had prayed. We saw that last week, and, and we saw it a few chapters ago in chapter 3. Oh, that you would know how high and wide and deep and long the love of Christ is so that you'd be filled with all the fullness of God. Oh, that you would know it. You already have it. It's just that you would know what you already have. And now Paul is giving them a benediction here in verse 23. Peace be to you and love with faith. He already knows that you have the love of God. So what is he saying? Not that you would get more of the love of God, but that you would be aware of how much God loves you. And the way that you become aware of how much God loves you is by faith. 
And this love is from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's how he started the letter. And so what he's saying is the origin of love comes from our triune God. But I think what he's getting at, the reason he doesn't mention the Spirit is because he's saying the Father has loved you. And if you want to know how much the Father has loved you, look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look to the cross. Because there, the Father's love has gone public. He loved you when you were at your worst. He gave you His best. His Son. And if He didn't spare His Son, how will He not with Him freely give you all things? So when you're tempted to doubt that the Father loves you, you need to look to Jesus. And remind yourself of how much you've been loved. We just sang about it. Jason reminded us of the poetic nature of the third verse. What a picture that it will never be exhausted. For all eternity, Paul had said earlier, you know what the Father is going to be doing? As the ages of eternity roll on one upon another, upon another in the coming ages, the Father is going to continually be revealing His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. It's in chapter 2 of Ephesians. So Paul's just simply saying, I'm praying for you that you would know how much you are loved. What a thought. You don't want to know what the application is of that? Is to know how much you're loved. To remind yourself of how much you've been loved. You've been loved with an infinite, eternal, everlasting love that cannot be measured. The Father set His affection upon you in Christ before the foundation of the world, chapter 1 says. He has loved you. Now You might be tempted to think that you're not worthy of it. That you don't deserve it. Therefore, you can't receive it. The reality is you don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. I'm not worthy of it. But part of the gospel message is I have received it in Jesus. You have received it in Jesus. And so instead of pushing away, lean into it. Delight in it. Think upon it. Ponder on it. Meditate upon it. Let it fill all of your mind and your heart and your affections. Let it roll over you like waves upon a seashore. This love. Let me just say it this way. This is what Paul is, is praying in this benediction. May you taste of God's love. Full, fatherly, gracious, free and overflowing. And may God continue to grant you faith. You see, after all, it's a gift of God. Paul said in chapter 2. And he concludes with grace. Grace. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. May God continue His grace to you, God's free and undeserved favor. Favor. This is His prayer. He had talked about grace in chapter 1. Chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. He says, to the praise of His glorious grace which with, with, with which He's blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. 
Chapter 2, verse 5, even when we were dead, in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Verse 7, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved, verse 8, through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. Chapter 4, verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So what is Paul getting at? He's getting at, you have this grace. You've been graced from the Father in Jesus from all eternity. It's been applied to you when you believed. By grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. And you now have this grace. So may you be aware of it. You don't need more grace. You've been given infinite, immeasurable grace. May you be aware of this grace that is already yours. This unmerited favor. May it fill your thinking. May it drive your motives. And what does it do? Well, I think all of this causes us to love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. This is the foundation, the motivation, peace and love and grace. When we understand it, we can't help but say, Lord Jesus, I love you. I'm yours. Do with me whatever you want. And that whatever he wants is a life of obedience in whatever ministry he's called us to. Andrew Lincoln in his commentary says, Elsewhere, the letter has referred to God's love for believers and Christ's love for them, to believers' love for one another, to believing husbands' love for their wives, and to believers' love in general. But this is the only place where their love for Christ is made explicit. He then adds, In this way, the letter closes with a stress on believers' personal relationship and commitment to Christ. Well, this is just another way of saying we love because he first loved us. This is how Paul is closing the letter. With a love incorruptible, an undying love, an unceasing, eternal, immortal, incorruptible love. Love from the age to come, in other words. A love that is heavenly. A love that has been brought forward and made real in our hearts. And the Lord Jesus, according to chapter 2, has settled down and made himself at home in our hearts by faith so by grace this undying love which are blessings of the new age are what paul wants us to know that we already have in christ we, we love him in other words for what he's done but don't we also love him for who he is we love him because he loved us and the reason He loved us is because He is love. Oh, we could go over, we, we were in the letter of 1 John prior to the book of Ephesians, and wasn't that meant to give us great assurance to know that you have eternal life? Well, how is it that we know we have eternal life? Because we have been loved by the Father. And He's gifted us His Son, and that's a demonstration of His love, and He's gifted us His Spirit, and that's a demonstration of His love. So that you may know you have eternal life, know that you've been given the Son and you've been given the Spirit. And what do we hear in the book of Ephesians? The same thing. We've been given the Son. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
And we've been given the gift of the Spirit. He's the down payment and pledge of our inheritance until we obtain possession of it to the praise of His glorious grace. Paul could have said to the praise of His glory, and we would have said amen. What does he say? To the praise of His glorious grace. Glory is the adjective. His grace is glorious. It's to the praise of His grace. And this is how Paul ends this letter. All grace to you. Grace be with you. You have it. Be aware of it. Understand who you are in Christ. Understand everything that you have. This is, will promote in you a fire that will never be quenched of love for God in Christ by the Spirit. This is, what would this do in our community if we were aware of this, if we lived in light of this every day? It would give hope to the hopeless. It would give peace to those who are at war. It would give joy to those who have no joy. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the glory of Christ in the community of faith. This is what the book of Ephesians is all about. And this is my heart's prayer for Trinity Church. Is that the Spirit of God would do a work in our church to such a way that we would be a city on a hill, that we would be a light to our neighbors and our friends, and we would see many come to Jesus. Father, thank You for this time and this Word. As we turn to the table now, may it be a response of love. Our love for Christ, our Savior who loved us and gave Himself for us. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.